You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Welcome to another bonus episode of Heaven Bent. I'm Tara Jean Stevens. It's March 2023, and I'm here with a behind-the-scenes look at the Asbury Revival, a period of non-stop worship that broke out just a few weeks ago at Asbury University. AU is a private, non-denominational Christian university in Wilmore, Kentucky. Joining me with his unique insights, and completely Christian perspective, please welcome Matthew Moresco. Sweet. So, hi, I am Matthew Moresco. He is the head of audiovisual technology and classroom technology at Asbury University, but he was born in Kansas City, Missouri, and grew up in the International House of Prayer, the subject for my next season of Heaven Bent. So we'll hear from Matthew again. He also has a postgraduate degree in theology. That's about all I am other than I'm someone who loves Jesus. Coming up later this episode, I'm going to talk with him about the biggest roadblock that I've been running into when it comes to this new season on IHOP. And if you've never heard of it before, it's basically a Christian organization known for its 24-hour prayer room, which it has been facilitating nonstop since September 1999. But the guts of Matthew joining me right now, it's really to get his super cool POV on Asbury. So I heard about it actually the, the few hours after, I think by 2 p.m., um, I, I was getting text messages saying, hey, you know, AU Chapel has not ended. There's still people worshiping. And I was like, oh, it's interesting. And I actually contacted some people with our chapel saying, hey, we should probably inform our students. And they were like, well, are you sure? You know, there's, there's a hesitancy to kind of annoy our students with an email. But I found out that apparently a bunch of our, like most of our students already knew because it's a little unusual. A, a lot of, speaking from experience, a lot of their students, they're required to go to chapel um, three three days a week and a lot of them kind of hate it. So it was very strange for them to all be hanging out after chapel, especially for a few hours. So when it comes to actually declaring this a revival, what are the qualities that sort of arose that allowed probably you and other people there to go, okay, yeah, that is what's happening right now? Okay. So from a purely theological perspective, um, you, you, you're, you tend to be looking for um, people worshiping. Uh, a lazy way to put it is like people worshiping for no reason. Like they're just, they're just kind of almost lost in worship and just delighting in worship. Um, hearts being transformed, people um, genuinely repenting and crying out to the Lord, not because they're afraid, but because they're realizing that's an opportunity for them to really be free and experience Him in a true and, and profound way. Um, and so you're seeing lives really being changed and not just like people feeling good, but really being reoriented to the Word. Um, but you'll notice on all of AU's documentation that they did not call it a revival. They did not term it. We did not term it. And when AU finally through, you know, a week and a half, I believe, of prayer and, and being there, obviously they're there, um, they finally t- termed it maybe, I believe, a week and a half in. They termed it the Asbury outpouring, and they don't call it a revival. An outpouring 
is a word that a lot of people use as well to describe whatever it was that started at the Toronto Airport Vineyard Church back on January 20th, 1994, the focus of season one. We've also heard a lot on this podcast about the Brownsville Revival, sparked in 95 down in Pensacola, Florida. Some people also call that the Pensacola Outpouring. And thanks to those and several other outpourings or revivals in the 90s, I guess this question comes up for a lot of Christians about why this doesn't happen all the time in every church. That's where we get this thing Matthew tells me about called cloud theology. We we all um, kind of argue that, you know, this, is, this should be kind of normal Christianity, but even though we have that theology, suddenly Toronto happens and people with the same theology visit Toronto my man gets on stage and just like whispers into a microphone, like no, no hype, no nothing. Just whispers, just Holy spirit come and boom. It was like this presence, this physical, tangible presence drops into the room. People start manifesting. People are being healed. Like all this crazy things happening. And the people are going, wow, this is so awesome. This is what we're praying for. This is what we think normal should be. And then they travel back home and they get on stage and go, Holy spirit come. And it doesn't happen. From from that experience, they kind of looked in the scriptures and went, okay, what what do we do with this? What do we do with this? And that's where we found that God seems to manifest, you know, God God is present always. That's just a fact. But he reveals, he manifests, he, he allows us to experience that presence in different ways, at different times, in different places. And so from that, we kind of refer to it as the cloud because there was the cloud that traveled with Israel. And when the cloud moved, Israel would move. There's in the temple, Solomon dedicates the temple and he, he prays this prayer, invites the presence of God. And it says the, the term there in Hebrews, like the Shekinah glory, the weighty, the heavy glory of God fell into the temple. And it was so thick that the priests could not minister in the temple. So there was this idea that like they, it was heavy. They couldn't see through it. So it very cloud-like. And so there's some argue that we can push up. And so that's why, for example, if you have larger gatherings of Christians who are praying and seeking after God, that's why you'll see an increase of healing and different stuff like that is because we've kind of torn through the heavens poking upwards. Um, That's very debatable. And then the one that's more God driven is when he just, for whatever reason, the cloud comes down. And that's where, from from my experiences there, I'd say at the very least for the first week and a half, the cloud came down. And whatever you want to call these events, whatever you understand them to be, Matthew says he was also present when the cloud came down at IHOP in Kansas City. Now, this is an event called the Student Awakening that we'll definitely be exploring in the upcoming season on IHOP. But each of these events, the Student Awakening, Asbury, they each have their own vibe. For example, Matthew says that what he was a part of as a teenager in Kansas City, the student awakening, he said that was like fire. Fire, in the sense of the the passion of his desire for people, was marking people's hearts. And then wine, the joy of the Lord, the pleasure of the Lord, pleasure in the sense of like, man, I just just want to sit here with the word of God and and delight in him and, and laughter and all these different things. Um, so the student awakening was marked with kind of fire and wine, especially wine, because um, there was a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety that was just lifted off and people were so delighted and, and elated in a sense. And so I said, okay, God, before you came with wine, what are you doing here? And he said to me the, the first Saturday, he said, I'm coming with milk and honey. And that was very much so what I saw in the sense of it was just the sweet 
gentle, um, nurturing presence of God that so many people had never experienced. It it makes me think of the question, if someone who has maybe been to a regular church on an off and on basis throughout their life, walked into any of the Asbury meetings or sessions that happened over the last few weeks, uh, would they have noticed something different themselves, a non-Christian? Would they have gone, hey, what's going on in here? Uh, we absolutely had that happen uh, multiple times. Um, I know, for example, one one story where a friend of mine, she's actually getting her law degree. Um, and she, this, the semester had a professor that just, he just ragged on Christians at the beginning of the semester, just assaulting. Like, I can't believe they call themselves moral individuals and just going, 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 going. And then the AU thing happens and he knew that she did her undergrad at AU. Um, and so he went straight to her and was like, you, you graduate from AU. What's going on? What are you, what are you guys doing down? Like aggressive. And she was just so taken back and didn't know what to do. So she just said, well, come and see. And he was just, just kind of grunted and, and shuffled off. And he came with his wife and they walked into the room and sat there for four hours. And then he came over the weekend and then the next, I think Monday at class, he, he got up in front of the class and beginning of class, completely different type of demeanor. And he just said to everyone, you know, I, I apologize to everyone in this room, not just the Christians, everyone in this room for the way that I spoke about Christianity and Christians. And, and I want to, I want to humble myself before everyone here. And again, to be clear, this man walked into the room. I believe not even an agnostic, I believe an atheist. Um, and he was, he experienced something that he couldn't put into words. Like he, he, he touched something as it were. So with any kind of outpouring or revival that I've ever studied and looked into, there's always these real world dilemmas that come up, logistical stuff. Are you aware of anything like that in regards to what happened at Asbury? There, I'm aware of almost all of it. Okay. Dish, dish. Uh, yeah. So, so like the first night, you know, we're, we're talking, okay, so the, the, are we leaving the place open all night? Is that safe? Do we need to leave security guards here? Do we need like, the, there's those kind of questions, uh, bathrooms, are the bathrooms open? Are the bathrooms stocked? Do they have toilet paper? Like there's these kind of questions. Um, and then, cause they, they actually went the entire time worship never stopped in that space. Even during the time that they closed the doors, there was groups of students, even myself at, at times went in a back door and we, we, we spoke of it uh, gently as, as maintaining the fire on the altar, as it were, stewarding the presence of God that, you know, God chose to come to us. So let's, let's have someone there as a friend with him. But then we're hitting other areas of it's, it's an old building. And so, for example, people like to jump during energetic worship and we have a balcony and people are jumping and the balcony could actually collapse. And so there, when you're talking logistics in that sense, there was tons of stuff just in their building. And then you deal with the issue that their building seats 1400 and Saturday, the first Saturday night, we probably had a good 16, 1800 people there. And so at, at any that point, point were people coming from, you know, outside of the country, did it, cause it only lasted so long. It's already over. Did it? Oh, get that no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the, the farthest I heard of was, uh, Singapore, Uganda and Indonesia. 
I don't know which one's farther, but those were the farthest I, I know of at least. They actually have a picture. I think you can find it online of anyone who came from a country. They actually put little tacks on a um, on a map to show where everyone came from. There was over 20, 30 countries that came. I also heard over time that the sessions sort of moved outside. Is that true? And was that because of safety concerns or, you know, capacity concerns? Capacity concerns is a bigger issue. So that's where I was saying the, the building sits 1400 and then um, we're, we have too many people. And the fire marshal came in and said, look, we love what you're doing. We love Jesus, but this is illegal. <laughs> um, so immediately by, by Sunday night, um, we opened um, Estes Chapel seats about 350, 400. Um, across the street at the seminary. So we opened that for first thing we did was actually a completely separate service. And people were so surprised. It's funny how this works. They're all Christians at this point, but they're so surprised that like the same presence is in the room across the street. It's just funny how that goes down. But then that was, that was great. But then we, you know, you, you need to hold another group of musicians, you need a whole another group of people speaking and ministering and just all this different type of stuff like that. And then I remember on Monday, um, I was actually at a class from six to nine and I set up Estes and then I get a text after about an hour and they're like, Hey, Estes is full. Can you open McKenna? And I was like, sure. So I go over and open another space. That one sees about three fifty. after another hour. They're like, Hey, McKenna's full. Can you go open Royal? Which is another space we have seats about 200. And I was like, uh, sure, I guess. So I drop out of class, um, start that up, head back to class and, so we have all those spaces open. So we have seating for probably about 2000 some odd people. And there's still a few hundred people standing outside on the grass wanting to get in to the main room. And that was like the Monday after. So we're not talking, it's been a week, it's been four or five days. Um, it kind of just grew from there. So most of us aren't familiar with this area of the world, this area of Kentucky. Can you tell me about, is this in a small town? Is it this in a big city? Is it outside the city? Like yeah. So technically we are, in... we are outside of Lexington, Kentucky in the small town of Wilmore, Kentucky. Now it depends on your definition of small town. I'll, I can describe it this way. There are two stoplights. It's a town of about 5,000 people. And there was one day that the police claimed that we had 20,000 people in Wilmore. The police shut down the city. They actually blocked it off at the highway and said, if you're non-local, please don't come here. That was, I did sort of hear that because I was actually sitting here in Vancouver going, should I be going? Should I be uh, yeah. getting on a plane? Like, yeah. and I didn't even know you were there. And of course we've been talking about, you know, season four stuff. So this is yeah. such a treat for me to find out that you were so directly connected with this. I guess another question I have for you is, you know, more recently, after just a couple of weeks, they declared this over. Was that because of, you know, the cops shut down, wouldn't let anybody else in? Like, why why sort of human handle this into stopping? Um, so they uh, I'd say that Dr. Brown, the, the president of AU, um, gave a really great statement that um, he's like, hey, look people are saying to you, why are you stopping it? And he's going, well, we didn't start it, so we can't stop it. It was kind of his argument. Theologically, this is where they, when I, when I explained kind of the cloud theology that I was talking about, I, I'm not sure how sold they are on that theologically. I mean, it was really fascinating to see how much they, people would come visit. And, and it really shifted where 
the first few days were just worship and celebration and testimony. And it was just all this different thing. And then they kind of leadership realized like, Oh, non-locals are really in the room. This isn't even like us just partying anymore with Jesus. This is actually just visitors. And, and they're, they're looking for something. They're hungry for something. So then they started, they kind of shifted a little into giving more sermons and more exhortations to, to live the gospel. Well, um, and in those, they, they started really emphasizing like this, this should be normal Christianity. This should be normal Christianity. You don't need to come here. Just go home and do this at home was a really strong emphasis by Tuesday night of the first week. I probably should have asked you this a little bit earlier when I was asking you about the qualities of this movement, but was there, you know, the shaking and sort of really dramatic physical manifestations as well? Or, it, you know, it did it does it really ring true the, this sort of image I'm getting of Asbury, which was it was very muted and tame and, and sort of quiet. So I had, I had friends of mine that Saturday that I was there, I had friends of mine that were going like, we're praying for the more, we're praying for the more because they want the, the the dramatic stuff. And I was, I was just feeling from God that that wasn't what he wanted to do. And, and so I kind of said like, ah, maybe we shouldn't. And they're like, no, no, of course, God wants the more. And I was like, okay, you guys do what you want. But then I was watching and that's what it came down to is, it, for example, like I, I know a guy who, one of my favorite testimonies, this guy's praying for someone. And as he's praying, you know, I'm praying this and I'm praying that. And suddenly he just goes, wait. I'm seeing something. I'm seeing, I'm seeing, what is this? Is this a vision? Am I having a vision? I'm having a vision. Okay. Okay. I'm having a vision. Okay. I'm seeing, I'm seeing this and I'm seeing this and I'm seeing this. So I guess that means that, uh, God's, God's telling you this and God's telling you this and God's wait, wait, I'm Southern Baptist. I don't believe in, I don't believe in this. What's happening right now? Like he was legitimately confused because you know, his, his theology says that that doesn't happen today. And that's kind of what I saw. Like I have so many stories from Southern Baptists outright who, if there was a bunch of dramatic stuff going on, they would have just condemned it and not have come. That crowd came to visit this and touched God and experienced God and, and was renewed in a new way. And so I think God kind of, if to be kind of crass about it, God kept stuff like that from happening so that people like that to, to help those people to feel free to come and meet him. So, as I mentioned at the top of this episode, Matthew and I have also been having this separate discussion about his connection with the International House of Prayer and its 24-hour prayer room, my subject for the upcoming Season 4. And I just found it really wild and intriguing that Matthew is connected to both of these places that I'm so curious about right now, IHOP and Asbury. I mean, I can say that I don't go anywhere without God telling me to, but I can't say that he's preaching me. You know, he, he has a reason that he told me to move here. He has a reason he did stuff, um, but I, I can't speak to whether or not that will continue in my life. I have no idea. I'm just grateful to be here. One more question about Asbury before I move on. And I just, I'm just curious about, you know, did you, what did, what do you personally take away from from that i mean were you healed were you do you have a new vision of of god or or anything like that my sister actually asked me about halfway through all of it going on because she was concerned and what it came down to is me and her have friends who went through the nine months of the student awakening which the the presence was even thicker and there was healings like no stage four cancer today no cancer tomorrow medically proven healings two thousand of those over the course of nine months and me and my sister were there like every night 
And then we have friends who were there with us and today they're atheists and they're agnostics. And we're going like, but what about the cancer? And they're like, well, you know, when you get enough people in a room to just kind of, when they, when they believe it'll happen, it'll happen. Like, I'm not saying they have logical answers. I'm saying that's where they're at right now. Um, and so me and my sister really just to this day, we're, we're praying and we are, we are asking that people's hearts would continue to be open because it's too easy, um, for people to just grab something quickly and be excited. And then it, it dies out. Like Jesus said, like if the roots grow too quickly and they don't grow deeply, then when the sun comes, the plant will dry up and die. And then there, there's others that can, can get distracted in things in life and, and grow bitter. Their love can grow cold. And so I, I'm really just praying that the fruit that has begun would continue well. So when we first started emailing back and forth a few months ago, you said to me, I suspect it may be difficult for you to get pro IHOP people who are, you know, open to talking to me because of how badly, you know, they've been burned by media in the past. And I'm finding this to be very true that like, I can't get anybody to agree other than you to join me and talk about their experiences and their beliefs and, you know, the history of that place. I, I told you the story of why we basically did like no media, right? Tell me again. So the, the first time that this happened was the Kansas City Star, the premier newspaper in Kansas City. Uh, I think this was 2004, 2005, maybe 2006. I forget. Kind of early in our, you know, we're still young. They they heard of us and they they came and were interviewing us and they sounded very excited. And, and we were excited that like, oh my goodness, like the, this is going to go out and the, and the word's going out because the whole thing has been that the, the church would awaken to the beauty of Jesus and... and and the, the the opportunity to sit in Jesus's presence. So the more the message goes out, the better. So we're going like, this is awesome. God must have like arranged this to help the message go out was kind of some people's thoughts. And so I I know one guy who's still in leadership today, they, they did an interview with him and then suddenly the piece comes out and it was a hit piece. And they took every word he said and just cut cut every sentence up to make their little bites and it's we're not talking sound bites this was this is before it was all audio recorded it was all just you know it's a newspaper and, and they just cut and paste everywhere they wanted to make the narrative that they wanted and my mom actually went to him and, and said like what happened and he just went i i don't i don't know i i i'm amazed that they asked their questions so masterfully that i didn't even realize that the way that my answers were done that if they cut and paste what I said, they could get what they said because I, I didn't say anything of what they have. One of the things that you've done with me, and it's maybe because of that, is you had to make sure that like you read all the questions that I wanted to ask you. So are you keeping that kind of stuff in mind when you see my questions? Um, I'm really trying to answer your questions as best as I can. Whether or not it's an arrogant answer, I, I did agree to doing this interview because I'm confident in my ability to generally give decent answers as opposed to kind of save things off the top of my head that are only half true. And that you I'm may thinking. regret afterwards exactly, or could be taken exactly. out of context. Well, I mean, what I would say about you from the conversations that we've had about IHOP so far and like going through and editing that audio and turning it into my scripts and is that you take something that for outsiders seems very 
almost mystical even it's like a mystical sort of aspect of christianity you know this really just really almost exotic world that you've described and you brought it home to me you like made it seem grounded and um and logical even and so it's a really wonderful uh voice to have be part of this season because on the other side of it and you know i've got some of your former classmates and friends from ihop who feel really burned about what happened there here's more of what's to come on season four of heaven bent We were the Bible readers. We were the prophesiers. We were the prayer warriors. We were storing up our gold in heaven. We were hiding from the world to live in another age. The leaders would get on stage and they would talk and they would whip everybody up into a frenzy. And that would result in the audience, the the students, running around in circles and barking and screaming and sometimes just falling flat on their backs. I think about it to this day and I still haven't found a logical explanation for it. But maybe there isn't one. Maybe there really was something spiritual going on. If you went to IHOP, you were probably there and stayed there because of the prayer room. You can go get a burger at two o'clock in the morning. Why can't you go worship Jesus with other people at two o'clock in the morning? I loved worship, I loved music, but I just had no idea the measures of of what it would look like and how, how negative the impact would end up being in my life later on. 